It's a waterway to five day. So for all students in grades two to five, you can exit through those back doors and head out for waterway to five. Have fun. All right. Well, today we turn the corner in Hebrews. We move from the argument to the admonition to the alarm today. We looked at the argument where Jesus is better. Jesus is better than angels and Moses and high priests. Jesus is better than rest in the promised land, than animal sacrifices, than the old covenant. Jesus is better. And this morning we're going to take a look at the admonition. Now that Jesus is better, we want you to do these things. And then after the writer gives us an admonition, then he gives us an alarm. Hey, take note of this. So as we begin this morning, let's take a look at Hebrews 10, starting in verse 19. Let's pause for a word of prayer. Lord, as we take a look at Hebrews 10, and as we take a look at some things that the writer encourages us to do, Lord, teach us through your Spirit. Lord, work in our lives so that we will do the things that we need to do to become more like Jesus in what we say, think, and do. Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews 10, starting at verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. We start out with the first word in verse 19 is a therefore. And since it is there, we are to stop and figure out what it's there for. Well, it's tying in the preceding verses. And it's tying in the verses about Jesus' single sacrifice accomplished the forgiveness of sins, which the animal sacrifices couldn't do. But Jesus' single sacrifice accomplished the forgiveness of sins, which means, as we saw last week, that God remembers our sins no more. He goes on, Therefore, based on these facts about Jesus, brothers and sisters... And I think the writer is trying to present a family feeling, like he is part of their family because he goes on to say, we have. So he is telling them, the, the readers, that, hey, I am part of your family. I am part of you, okay? We have, brothers and sisters, confidence. We have this confidence, this assurance. It is with absolute certainty. In fact, it's a done deal. We have this confidence. To do what? To enter the most holy place. 
we have access to the very throne of God, to his presence. You know, two of Aaron's sons back in the Old Testament, two of Aaron's sons, Moses' nephews, were killed because they entered the presence of God in an unholy manner. You can read about it in Leviticus 10. And so as they entered the Lord's presence, he struck them down and killed them. And I was at a small group meeting on Wednesday night, and we somehow got talking about the Old Testament. And I said, yeah, I'm going to be talking about entering God's presence and God striking down two of Aaron's sons because they entered in an unholy manner. And Doris Smoker was like, oh, that's interesting. I'm teaching on that on Sunday. So that's what the fourth and fifth graders were hearing about, the Old Testament temple and how they had to enter a proper way. But you know, for us, folks, for us, Jesus was our sacrifice. Jesus paid the price for our sins so we can enter into God's presence. And in fact, he wants us to enter his presence. He wants us to dwell there. The, the Old Testament high priest went into the holies of holies. It was just for a short time. And then they came back out again. But we, because of Jesus' sacrifice, we can be in the Lord's presence every day. Every moment of every day, we can be in the Lord's presence. Man, what a privilege for us. What a privilege to be able to be in God's presence. You don't have to fear about being killed because Jesus was our perfect sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. Man, that's special. He goes on to say, we can enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. And that gives us the opportunity because of his shed blood by a new and living way. It's not by the Old Testament sacrifices. It's not by the old covenant. It's a new and living way. If you remember back when Jesus was talking to his disciples at the, the last supper scene, when he was there and telling, him, telling the disciples that he's going to be handed over and to be crucified, and he said, but hey, guys, take heart, because I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He was telling them, I'm the way. And the writer here is saying that Jesus, he is, he gives us, because of his sacrifice, he gives us the confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way. That way is Jesus. Then he goes on to say, open for us through the curtain that is his body. Now, the writer here is using imagery and word pictures to correlate the torn curtain in the temple with the torn and broken body of Jesus on the cross. Luke 23 tells us that when Jesus breathed his last breath, the curtain in the temple was torn, and that gave us access to the Holy of Holies. We could enter the presence of God. Verse 21. And 
since we have a great priest. Again, the writer is reminding us again that we have, he is part of us. We have a great priest, Jesus. Now, he spent most of chapter 8 arguing the fact that Jesus is the greatest high priest, that there is no high priest that can compare to Jesus. And he's saying, hey, we have a great priest, Jesus, over the house of God. Now, this is not a reference to a literal building or to a structure, but it's in reference to us as people. It's all of us who have trusted Christ as our Savior. Go back to chapter 3, verse 6. It says, but Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house, and we are his house. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence in the hope in which we glory. We are God's house, this he said back in chapter 3. So we have a high priest over the house of God. We have Jesus, our high priest, who is over us. Because of all that, because of what Jesus has done for us, now's the admonition. All right, this is what we can do. This is what we need to do. And again, the writer here is including himself in it because he says, let us, let us all together. You know, when you think about everything that Jesus has done for us, when you think about him leaving the glories of heaven to come to earth, to suffer and die, that is unbelievable to think that someone would be willing to do that. And we go from being a condemned sinner, condemned to hell because of our sin. In fact, the apostle Paul said we were dead in our sins. When we go from that stage of being a condemned sinner to being part of God's house, being part of God's family, that's just overwhelming to think of what he did for us. Hopefully, it's motivation now to do the let us. What are we to do? Verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let's start with, let's look at the first phrase. Let us draw near to God, you know, because we can. We can draw near to God because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Let us draw near to God. We have access to God Almighty. This past week, I tried calling the Strasburg Railroad, and when I, when it picked up. It was an, you know, an automated surface. You know. You know, thank you for calling the Strasburg Railroad. If you know your party's extension, you, you may dial it now. I didn't know his extension. You know, I, I knew his first name, okay? Um, so then 
you know, it's like, okay, if you want a, you know, company directory to dial by first name, you know, you press two, I think it was. So I pressed two, and so I punched in his first name. Well, there's two at that Strasburg Railroad that have the same name. So, you know, so, okay, well, I think it's this one, so I punched this number, and what do I get? His voicemail. It's like, good grief, I'm trying to reach this person, and I, I can't get through it. God says, let us draw near, draw near. There is no automatic, you know, telephone service. You don't have to press any numbers. Jesus has given us access to the presence of God. Let us draw near. It says, with a sincere heart and a full assurance of faith. We must prepare ourselves to draw near to God. As you came in this morning, what was your heart's attitude when you came? Did you have a desire to draw near because you have a sincere desire to become more like Jesus in what you think, say, and do? I hope so. I think most of you have. But we are to draw near with a sincere heart. We must have our hearts prepared as we draw near to God. Then it says this, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. This is in reference to the Old Testament practice of the priests where when the animal was sacrificed, they would sprinkle the blood on the altar to, to cover the sins of the people. But they would also sprinkle some of that blood on themselves because they recognized themselves as sinful people. And so the writer here says, having a heart sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. The writer knew that the people reading this were Hebrews, Jewish people, who would have understood the Old Testament customs of the priest. So he says, having our hearts sprinkled clean from a guilty conscience because of the blood of Jesus. That's why we can draw near to God. 1 Corinthians 6.11 says this, and that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he goes on to say, having our bodies washed with pure water. Now, this is a, this is a tough phrase um, because there are, um, there are scholars on a number of sides on this issue. Some say that this is in reference to baptism, and, and which is true because baptism does symbolize that our sins have been washed away because we are in water, and so it does symbolize that, but it's not in reference to salvation, that you're Sins are washed away because you were baptized. It does say with pure water. You know, we baptize in the Octorera Creek. I don't think that's known for pure water. Um, but what I think it's in reference to is that 
Again, going back to the Old Testament, because the writer would have, the writer knew that he was writing to Jews who understood the Old Testament practices. Well, for the priest, before he could enter the temple, he had to take a bath. He had to wash. He had to be clean physically before he entered the temple. And you can look that up in Exodus 30, Exodus 40, Leviticus 14, that the priest, before he went into the temple, had to wash himself physically. I also think that the, the writer here in Hebrews was considering Ezekiel uh, 36. In Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel is quoting, the, is quoting God. He called him, the sovereign Lord says, and then he quotes a number of things. But he also says in Ezekiel 36, the sovereign Lord, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. So what is that clean water? Well, I think we have an idea from Titus. Titus 3.5 says, He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So I think what the writer is saying here is that the washing with pure water is the Holy Spirit regenerating us on the inside, that our sins are washed away because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. The Holy Spirit cleans us from our sins and that God remembers our sins no more. The second, let us. We're to draw near to God. Now, verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. The writer is trying to help us to understand the need to hold on to our faith. We're going to see this. He's going to talk about this again um, near the end of chapter 10 here. But hold on to your faith. Unswervingly, he says. If you go back to chapter 4 in Hebrews, it says, Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we possess. Go back to chapter 3 in Hebrews. He says, we have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly. This is definitely a theme that the writer was trying to get across, that we are to hold firmly to our faith. Why? Because, uh, uh, here's why, because God is faithful. He's also going to be talking about this some more towards the end of chapter 10. We hold firmly to our faith, to the hope that we have in Jesus, because the one who made those promises is faithful to carry through those promises. We can believe it. We can be sure of it, because God is 
faithful. The last let us found here in verses 24 and 25. Verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The writer wants to encourage his readers to motivate one another to show love and perform good deeds towards one another. He was looking, he was asking his readers to look past yourself, look to others within this body here. How can you encourage? How can you support? How can you give them motivation to do good deeds? For you see, when when we encourage one another, when we spur one another on towards love and good deeds, we're building up the house of God. Our bonds with one another become stronger, and we become more like Jesus in all we say, think, and do. He encourages each of us to encourage one another here to do good deeds. How can you encourage the person next to you, the person in the row in front of you or behind you? What can you do to encourage them in their walk with Christ? Well, this next verse is the the pastor's favorite verse in all the Bible because it says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. (laughs) We are to meet together because we are relational beings, aren't we? I don't know about you, but when we were shut down for three months and told to stay at home, it was hard. I mean, yes, we talked through Zoom, we talked on the telephone, we did that, but we didn't have that face-to-face personal interaction. And, you know, it was, it was tough. It was difficult because we need one another. And that's what he's saying. Hey, don't give up meeting together. <laughs> it's important that you do meet together. You know, I have... I have heard people say, well, I don't need to go to church to worship. You know, I I can worship God anywhere, wherever I am. And that is very true. And, you know, I hope that you can worship God wherever you are, whether it's out in your tractor or out in your car or out in a hike or wherever. Worship God because you can be in his presence. But it's also important that we meet together. Because we need one another. And you know what? It's hard to spur one another on towards love and good deeds if we're not together to do that. And then he adds this phrase. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Well, what is the day? Well, it's the judgment day. Um, Many times, as well, he said here, as the day is approaching. That's actually short for the day of the Lord. 
And it's always in reference to the judgment that is coming. Now, for the first century Jews, they probably thought, well, judgment did come in 70 AD when the Romans came and destroyed Jerusalem and the second temple that was built. So they probably thought, well, that's, that's the judgment day. And it could be true to some point, but there is another judgment day coming, folks. It's the judgment seat of Christ. And for us as Christians, it's where we are going to give an account of what we have done for Christ here on earth. So when he says, spur one another on toward love and good deeds, that's one of the things that we are accountable to do because we will stand before Christ and he will ask us, what have we done with that? We're accountable for our actions. And he wants to motivate us, I believe. Say, hey, I want you to do the let us draw near. He wants us um, to do the let us hold unswervingly to our faith. He wants us to consider how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds because we are accountable to do just that. Now he switches gears, and he, he sounds the alarm. And it's like, wow, he, the change is very dramatic. Verse 26, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Make no mistake, this is a tough passage. And it has been misunderstood and has led to wrong theology. When... This person was writing the book of Hebrews, and he used the Greek term that we, we've translated deliberately, or maybe your Bible has willfully. It's the idea of constantly being in that state, okay? Understand that. When he used that term for deliberately or willingly, the idea is that you are constantly in that state, so you are constantly in that state of sinning. So could that be true for a Christian? That you are constantly in the state of sinning? No. Because what did we see last week? When you're a Christian, what does God do with our sins? He remembers them no more. See, the idea here, and well, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, when 
when he was writing this, and he used the Greek term for knowledge, it, it was not a complete understanding of the knowledge that you made it your own, okay? It was, oh, I understand that. It was not, oh, I fully understand, now I made it part of me knowledge. It was, okay, it's more of an intellectual ascent. Okay, I, I understand that. So when he says, if we deliberately, if we are constantly in a state of sin, because they're not Christians, and we keep on sinning because we have received the knowledge of truth, okay, we, we understand what Jesus has done, but they are not making it part of their own belief they're not making it part of their own understanding. They're saying, okay, there you go, sure. He's saying, then there is no sacrifice left for sins. If you understand what the Scripture says about Jesus and what he has done, but you have not taken that and say, yes, I believe that I am a sinner. I believe that Jesus' blood that was shed on the cross paid for my sins. If you deliberately do not embrace that belief, there's nothing more that can be done for you. What, can, what else can happen for you? There isn't, because you have refused to believe the truth of Jesus' sacrifice for you. So if we deliberately keep on sinning, if, if you refuse to believe the truth after you have understood what Jesus has done for you, there's nothing more that, that can be done. There is no other sacrifice. There is no other, nothing can be done because you are still in your state of sin. The writer goes on to mention, you know, if you did not follow the Old Testament law, it only took two people to have you condemned. <laughs> um, so if you deny what Jesus has done for you, uh, what, what is left but punishment? I'm really glad he doesn't stop there and say, okay, lesson's over. You know, the chapter's done. No, he goes on. And it's like he gives this alarm, okay? Hey, you know, if you are in your state of sins and you don't believe the truth, there's nothing more that we can do for you. That's just where you are. Uh, then, then he gives this encouraging word. You know, it's, it's, like, it's like a coach, you're in the locker room before the big game, and he gives this pep talk to, to send you out into the field, motivated, or out to the court. You're motivated. You're, you're all pumped up to go on, and, and that, that's how he ends here. It, it's, it's really exciting. He starts out, remember those earlier days after you had received the light, the light of Jesus. When you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. They have suffered. 
It wasn't easy for them. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. They stood with people who were persecuted. They stood with people who were in jail because they were part of the household of God. They were the brothers and sisters. He's reminding them, yeah, you guys did that, man. You guys stood with them. You guys endured suffering. He said, you suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Did you catch that? Because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And by my righteous one, will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. He's like, look, look at what you have endured. Look at what you have dealt with. You've had possessions taken. You have stood with people who were persecuted, who were in jail. You have done well. So don't give up now. Don't give up as the persecution continues, as the times are getting harder. Don't give up. Persevere because, because he has promised you. He has promised you a home in heaven. And everything that he has promised you is going to happen, as we saw earlier in the chapter. He's going to follow through on all those promises. So take heart. Take heart, he's saying. God's going to come through. God's going to come through, and it's so going to be worth it. Hang in there, friends. Hang in there, friends. And that's how he ends the chapter. You say, amen, God. <laughs> Thank you for that encouragement. Because... The promises that he has made to us as Christians here and now, they're going to happen. They're going to happen someday. Yeah, and it's going to get tough sometimes. It's going to get difficult. But the writer is saying, hang in there. <laughs> hang in there. Because in the end, you'll have everything that God has promised. Hang in there. Friends, if you're here this morning and you have not believed in Jesus as your Savior, now's the time. Now's the time to believe that Jesus' death on the cross has paid for your sins. And that by being resurrected three days later, it proved everything that what he said is true. Friends, if you have never done that Today's the day to do that. 
you can do it by, as I say, saying your ABCs. A, admitting that you are a sinner and that you need a Savior. B, by believing that Jesus shed blood on the cross, paid the penalty for your sins. And the C is confessing that belief to God and to others. So, if you have not done that, please take time this morning as I pray so that you can say your ABCs. If you are a Christ follower here this morning, keep at it. Keep chugging away. That's my train analogy. Keep chugging away because the promises that God has made to you are going to happen. You are going to experience all the joys of heaven. And it will be so worth it. Please stand as we close in prayer this morning. I hope that these words from Hebrews has given you new energy, given you new motivation to keep chugging on as we become more like Jesus so that as we sang earlier, that we can see God's kingdom being built here in this place, in the Oxford area. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time that we've had to share together this morning. Thank you for your word that was an admonition that, hey, we need to do these things. It's also an encouragement, God, because sometimes it does get tough. Sometimes it does get wearying trying to do the right thing when Satan is battling us so hard. God, give us the strength and energy and motivation to keep on. Because, Lord, we know, we know in our hearts that it's going to be worth it in the end. So help us persevere. Lord, give us a good week as we seek to live for you. Guide us, direct us, help us to become more like Jesus in all we say, think, and do. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.